0: Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Well, welcome back. If you have been uh, reading the various emails that we've sent out of late Tim told you we're going to step away from our usual service, our usual uh, series that we've been doing on 1 Corinthians, and for the next several weeks, we're going to be asking the question of what does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? If you've hung out in this church before, I hope you have heard that a lot we wanna be disciples who make disciples. We wanna be followers of Jesus who help others be followers of Jesus. We think that's where life is found. But, but what does that look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so for, for many years, we've had in our church what we call the marks of being a disciple. It's nothing new. If you were here about 10 years ago, this is one of the first things that Brian Marvel and I did when we both became the co-pastors of the church about a decade ago, was sort of figure out, okay, what do we want people to look like What are we trying to form in people? What are the things that matter? And so we have what we consider to be seven marks of a disciple. And they're nothing strange and nothing weird. And if you've hung out in church before, it will be totally normal to you. There are things like worship, service, prayer, et cetera. But what we're going to talk about today has to be the first one. You can do the other six, I think, in any order you want. But today, we're going to talk about the scriptures. Because all these things come from the Bible. We we didn't make them up out of our own heads. We didn't sit around and think, okay, gosh, what should a disciple look like? This is what the scriptures say followers of Christ should look like. And so we begin with this first one that all the others are going to build on. That followers of Christ, disciples, are people who honor God's word. They love the word of God. Because we call ourselves a Bible-believing church, by which we mean... This is what we're going to talk about. I'm not going to stand up here every week and tell you what I think. I'm going to stand up here and tell you what what I think the Bible says, what it means for us to obey. Scriptures. And there are a lot of passages that we could use. The Scriptures have a lot to say about themselves. The Bible has a lot to say about the Bible. But we are going to look at one of the last passages in Scripture. So if you've got your Bible, turn in it to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, under the seat in front of you, or one of the seats in front of you, you'll find a Bible. We call them the pew Bibles, even though there's no pews. Uh, It's on page 826. So if you're looking at one of the Pew Bibles, page 826, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of what we call the New Testament in terms of size. So he was a very prolific author, and God preserved a lot of what he wrote down. But this is his final letter. It's written in the mid-60s. He's imprisoned by the Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire, and he's going to be shortly executed. And he writes to one of his protégés, a guy named Timothy, that he had left as the pastor in the city of Ephesus a number of years ago. And these are his final instructions to this disciple, this guy that he has raised up to be a Christian. And as you get into chapter 3, Paul begins to say that, you know, life's going to be hard for Christians. Uh, If you know anything about early Christian history, uh, the Roman Empire really didn't care much about Christians up until Nero in the mid-50s. They just sort of treated them like Jews and ignored them. Uh, But Emperor Nero did not like Christians. And he went after them. And this is when you start getting things like Christians being thrown to the lions, Christians in the gladiatorial games. And that will continue for hundreds of years. Up until about 300 AD, the empire will not like Christians. And Paul's warning Timothy about this. And so if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and you look down at verse 13, Paul says, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse. The world, Paul says, is bad and it's going to get worse. And here's his command to Timothy. Here's what he tells Timothy to do in light of this world that is getting worse and worse and harder and harder for Christians. So read with me 2 Timothy chapter three. We're gonna read 14 through 17. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Paul's messaging, he only has one command. His message to Timothy in light of a world that he says it's gonna get worse, and indeed, Paul will be dead shortly after this. He will be executed by the emperor. Um, Paul says, Timothy, just keep doing what you're doing. You need to continue. You, you know what to do. You know what is right. You know what is good, Paul says. You just need to continue doing that. You shouldn't look any different in the hard times than you do in the good times. There's no secret sauce. There's no special thing. There's no secret way of life that's gonna change this. Just Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you know is right, Paul says. And he gives them two reasons. The first reason is you know who you learned it from. Now we're gonna talk about that next week. That's community. People. Who, who's around us? That that matters. It's part of why we gather here each week. Community matters. The people were around. Paul says, You know who taught you this. That's partially Paul. It's partially Timothy's, Timothy's mother and grandmother. It's other people in his life. You know who you learned this from. You know they're trustworthy, Paul says. But we're going to talk today about the second reason Paul gives him why you should keep doing what you know. Why should you keep living this way? He says in verse 15 From infancy, you have known the holy scriptures. Now, if you've hung out in church before, you have definitely heard the word holy. It is all over the Bible. I mean, it, just in the New Testament, which is like a quarter of the Bible, it shows up like over 200 times. And if you're a church geek and you've heard sermons on this before, you've probably heard that the word holy is the word in Paul's language, because he's not writing in English, he's writing in what we call Koine Greek. It's the word hagios. And we still use it today. You might hear it. There's a, there's a mosque in uh, Turkey called the Hagia Sophia, the Holy Wisdom Mosque. Or you might have read a hagiography, which is a biography where someone writes about the person like they can do no wrong. You know, everything they do is perfect and right. We call that a a hagiography. The word hagios means to be different. It means to be set apart. God is holy, meaning he's not like us. And we're supposed to be holy, meaning we're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're supposed to be like God. 220 times you read the word holy in the New Testament. 218 of them, it's the word hagios. Guess what? This is not one of them. When Paul says the Holy Scriptures, he uses a word that's only used one other time. It has nothing to do with being different or being set apart. It has to do with power. It means to be full of God's power. It means to display God's power. Paul says to Timothy, who is one of the very first people who's ever born in a Christian household. He was born a few years after the death and resurrection of Christ, and his mom was already a Christian when he was born. Paul says, you've known, since you were a baby, you've known the scriptures, you've known the Bible that's full of God's power. And he's gonna go on. All the rest of these couple next sentences are all about the power of the Bible. What does the Bible do? What makes it powerful? The first thing he says is, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Or literally, he says, it's powerful enough to make you wise for salvation. The scriptures, Paul says, part of what they do is they teach us another language. The the Bible says that the the language of the spiritual world, the spiritual life, it's another language. You've got to learn it. You've got to understand it. It's like we have a scientific language for the world. If I drop this Bible, I can describe that to you. There are formulas, there's a language I can tell you that, you know, there's the the force of gravity, 9.8 meters per second squared, and there's the mass of the Bible, it's called a kilogram, and there's the time it takes to fall. I can write out an equation that describes that motion, but that equation, that, that scientific language is useless to describe that I love my wife. There's no formula for that. It has nothing to do with mass, or gravity, or time. We have poetry to describe love and describe emotions. You may know that famous quote by, uh, by the philosopher Pascal. The heart has its reasons that reason knows not of. There are two different languages. The language of science and the physical world versus the language of love and the language of emotions. If you don't understand the language of science, then if I tell you that this Bible is gonna hit at force equals mass times acceleration, so what? That means nothing to you. And if you've never been in love, and I say to you, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and the breadth and the height my soul knows. But that doesn't tell you much about what's going to happen with the book, does it? And spiritual life, God, faith, These things, they require another language, the Bible says, and Scripture teaches us that language. It teaches us how to talk about those things and and how to understand those things, how to have faith, how to have faith in Jesus, how to be saved. So, if you heard the last couple sermons that Tim preached, he talked about how he became a Christian. You remember the story? He was in college. He was in, um, what do you call it, Tim? Nocturnal pharmaceutical sales. Was that how you put it, right? And he knew there was something going on in his life that it was kind of empty. And he went to church and he heard a Bible story. Like he heard somebody read from the Bible in the book of Acts. And he was like, I understand that. I get that. I want that. Like, that's... Paul says of the scriptures that's God's power at work that you can hear the Bible and this whole other language this language of faith this language of the spiritual world it makes sense to you if that's happening to you like if you hear the Bible read and you think like I get that I think I understand that that's God talking to you that's his power at work don't ignore that that's important just like Knowing gravity is important, right? We don't jump off 10-story buildings because we know it's gonna hurt when we hit the ground. If you hear the Bible read and you think, oh, I get that, I understand that, that makes sense. That's God talking to you through the power of his word. Hang on to that, that's important. Talk to somebody about that. Talk to him about that. Pray, talk to me about that. Talk to anybody, that's important, God, the power of God's word is at work in you. And Paul goes on to tell us more about the scriptures. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. That, that, that the Bible is more than just words on the page. Like, it wasn't written by God. This, this letter was written by Paul. If you read 1 Peter, it was written by Peter. If you read the Gospel of John, it was written by John. And they don't sound the same. If you read the Gospel of Luke... And you read the Gospel of John. They are both biographies of Jesus. But they sound very different because Luke was a scientist and John was a poet. But they both, behind them, have God speaking somehow. And I can't explain it. I don't think anybody can explain it. Somehow God's spirit joins with people. So that what's written is what God wants written. And yet it's written by people. It's written in their voices. It doesn't sound the same. When you read what different people have to say. All scripture, he says, is God-breathed. And so you've noticed that's why we preach all of the Bible. I've had to do two sermons in the book of 1 Corinthians where I've had to stand up here and tell you, I have no idea what this means. But all scripture is profitable. It's all good for us, Paul says. So we read all of it. We talk about all of it, even if we're not sure what it means. All, not just the part we understand, not just the part we like the parts we don't like in the Bible, those are good for us too. Paul says that scripture is useful. It's beneficial. He gives four ways that it, it's beneficial to us. He says it's beneficial for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I don't know about you or your language, but in the language Paul's writing in, two of those are really positive. Two of those, not so much. The first and the third, teaching and correcting, are very positive words. Teaching is just what you think it is, right? You're learning new things. That's a positive thing in his world. I think it's a positive thing in our world. You're learning how to do new things. You know things you didn't know before. The scriptures instruct you. The third one, correcting, is also a very positive word. It doesn't mean to tell you you're wrong. It means to tell you how to do something better. Like, you know, you see somebody trying to whisk up uh, egg whites with a plastic spoon. Like, that isn't gonna work. Here, try a whisk, That'll work so much better. Use this. That's what this word means. It literally means to stand something up straight again. Something fell. It's knocked over. It's not right. You you put it and you, you stand it up so it's straight again. Another way it's translated is restore. The Bible teaches us and the Bible restores us. Now, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a book that will teach you how to live your life? It will teach you new things. It will explain things to you you didn't know. But it doesn't just tell you for the future. It also can go back and fix things. It, things that you knocked down previously in your life, the Bible can show you how to set them back up again. It can restore you It can restore your relationships and the other things in your life. When I surf the internet, you know, and I'm sure this happens to you too, you get the ads at the bottom of the articles. One of the ones I see frequently is something along the lines of, these five books will change your life. Or something along the lines of, you know, this is the only book Steve Jobs ever recommended. Well, I don't know if Steve Jobs' book is any good, but but this one, this one really will change your life. This one really will teach you, and it will also restore you. Like, those are great things. But like I said, there's two more, and they're not as positive. The second and the fourth, rebuke and train. The word rebuke, I mean, that's not a good word in our world. It's an even worse word in his world. It means to prove you're wrong. It's the word used in a law court of being cross-examined and shown that you're wrong, you're lying. I mean, we've all had that experience where we say something, you know, we, we explain something, we put something out there, and then somebody comes around and starts questioning us about it, and they show that we have no idea what we're talking about. That they show that we're lying or we're wrong or we don't understand it. That's, that's what this rebuke means. It means the Bible tells us things we don't want to hear. The Bible tells us stuff about ourselves and about our world that we'd rather not hear. Let me read you something else the Bible says about itself. This is from a few pages later in the book of Hebrews. This is Hebrews four, verse 12. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you read the Bible, the Bible reads you back. And the Bible tells you things about yourself you're not gonna like because it knows. It it reads you. It judges your heart because all of us, every day, we're rewriting history in our heads. The book of Jeremiah will say, the heart is deceitful above all else. All of us are going back through our days and our history and we're rewriting them. To make us the hero or to make us the victim. To make things that happened be like, oh, we caused that or, or, oh, no, we didn't cause that. That bad thing, it's, it's not our fault. All of us can see something, have something happen to us and say, how could they do that? How could they possibly do that? That's terrible. I would never do that. And moments later, we go and we do the exact same thing. And do we say to ourselves, oh, that's terrible. How could I do that? No, of course not. We say something like, oh, well, it's a totally different situation. Or, oh, I I had to. I didn't want to. I had to. They made me do it. We're constantly rewriting our history. Our heart is constantly lying to us. And the Bible tells us, nope, that's a lie. You did that. You thought that that was wrong the scriptures rebuke us we rewrite things in our head say oh it's not that bad and we read the scriptures and the scriptures say no no it is that bad we rewrite things to say oh that's not my fault and we read the scriptures and the scriptures say that's definitely your fault And sometimes they don't do it really generously. That last word, training in righteousness. For us, the word training comes from the verb to train, to do something over and over again, to practice till you get good. That's not what it means in Paul's language. In Paul's language, the word comes from the word for a child or a slave. To train someone is to treat someone like a child or like your servant. It's just to tell them, do it. You know, everybody's had the experience, either as a kid or a parent. Kid, parent says to the kid, hey, you need to do this. The kid says, why? What's the answer? Because I said so. <laughs> That's how the Bible speaks to you. It, it, it's God breathed. It, it's God speaking. God does not feel it necessary to explain himself to us. He does not feel it necessary any more than your boss feels it necessary Can you imagine you're stocking, where's Kroger? It's up there, right? You're stocking things in Kroger one night and your boss comes to you and says, hey, you need to stop stocking that because we've had a truck come in. You need to help unload the truck. And you look at your boss and you go, why? Why would I do that? That makes no sense at all. It's not my fault that truck is late. I'm gonna finish doing this. Now, what's your boss gonna say to you? Oh, well, see, let me explain to you why this is important. I understand your concerns. Let me explain to you why we need to, no, of course not. Your boss says, oh, I didn't realize you didn't want to work here anymore. Go to the loading dock or go out the front door. That's how the Bible talks to us. It treats us like children. It treats us like servants. The scriptures are not our equal. They don't come to us and have a meeting of the mind. God in his word doesn't come to us and say, you know what, I want you to be honest, but, but what do you think? Let's get together. Maybe we can compromise somewhere in the middle. You can be kind of honest. The scriptures come to us and say, do it. This is the way. Walk in it. God says, I am always truthful. If you follow me, you will be truthful. And there's no why. And there's no please, please explain that. And there's no, well, when you've convinced me, I'll go along with that. The scriptures don't treat us like Equals. They treat us like children, and like servants. They will offer us these incredible benefits if we want them. They will offer to teach us, to explain the world to us, to help us, to restore the things in our past, to set things up straight. But they do it by telling us we're wrong. They do it by treating us like children, like servants and employees. They don't come to us and say, well, what do you think? They come to us and say, this is the way. Walk in it. That's how the scriptures talk to us. If you want the benefits, Paul is telling Timothy, then you have to accept how the scriptures speak. And Paul says, one more thing the scriptures will do for us in verse 17, that All these things that happen, the the teaching and the correcting, the rebuking and the, the training, the treating like a child, it's also the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, thoroughly equipped isn't strong enough for what he says. He, like sta- he uses the word equipped twice, kind of stacks things on top of himself. It's not good English, so we don't translate it, you know. So you'll be thoroughly equipped to completely equipped for every good work. But that's kind of the thing that he says. And it's the idea of, of bricks. You know, when the, these guys, when they're making things out of bricks and they're, they're shaping bricks... You have to shape each brick to fit the next one. You know, they don't have molds and cement and anything like that. They're they're taking pieces of rock and chiseling them. And so if one rock sits like this, then you've got to fit the next rock like that. If you fit the next rock straight, there's a huge gap and it's not stable. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, if you will let them, the scriptures will fit you that whatever situation you come in, whatever angle it happens to be at, the scriptures will give you exactly what you need. It will fit you perfectly at that angle. So you have what you need for every good work. I mean, think about that. The Bible claims that if you'll let it, it will give you everything you need to do all the good you could possibly do. To to access all of the good that you could possibly have in this life. The scriptures will fit you for that. However, they have to slot you in. That's what they'll do. They'll make sure you have exactly what you need. For all of the good that there is in life. All of the good that you could possibly do. Now again, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be ready and equipped for all the good that they could possibly do in this life? I mean, Paul makes these incredibly bold statements about what scripture's like and how scripture will work in our lives. How do you get it? How do you access All of this power. These are the holy scriptures. And holy there means powerful. The power of God. How do you access God's power in these writings? That's what the word scripture means. It means writings. Things that are written. You read it. That's it. That's the secret. You read it. You put it into your heart and your mind. You let the scriptures come in to your heart and your mind by reading them. And I guarantee you they will change your life. Now they will do it by telling you things you don't wanna hear. They will do it by teaching you things you didn't know you needed. You will read things in the Bible that you think, oh, of course, it's so clear. And you will read things in the Bible that you will think, what? Who in their right mind would write that down? What God could ever think that? The scriptures will not agree with you. They can't. That would be impossible. Look around this room, right? Look at how similar we are to each other. You know, in the vast scheme of humanity all of the possible ethnic groups, all the possible languages, all the possible cultures, if that's represented by this, we are like here. We all look pretty much the same. We all live in the same place, speak the same language, live in houses and apartments that all look very similar, eat very similar foods. I mean, we are so incredibly similar to one another compared to the wealth of humanity out there. And I guarantee you, there is no one in this room who agrees with you on everything. There's not a single person in this room, narrow as we are, close as we are to each other, in the vast sea of humanity, there is nobody in this room who agrees with everything you agree with. Not your spouse, not your best friend, not your parent, nobody. How could God agree with everything you think? If you read the Bible and nothing offends you, And nothing makes you think, what in the world is that talking about, right? Either you are Jesus and you have amnesia because you obviously wrote this, or you're not reading very well. I have devoted my life to this book. I spent 10 years in a mission dedicated to translating this book. I took my kids to places where the mosquitoes can kill you, and a couple times they almost did. Because I believe having this book is that important. And what is it I say to you if you've hung out in this church very often? What is it I tell you over and over? What does Tim have a button he can push so you can hear it? Read your Bibles. I have devoted my life to this book. And I read things in it and I think, where did that come from? What God would ever think that is a good idea? The scriptures will offend you They will make you angry. They will tell you things you do not want to hear. And they will change you. They, They will give you the language of faith. They will help you understand yourself and God. They will tell you what your heart is really, really like. You just have to read them so that they can read you. So that God can work that language of faith, that language of the spiritual life back into your life so that you understand it. So just like force equals mass times acceleration means nothing to you, if you don't know what any of those words mean, that this will make sense. That you'll read it and you'll understand it. Okay, when you begin, not so much. You just keep reading. Just keep reading. If you have a way that you presently read Scripture regularly in your life, keep doing it. Blessings on you. Okay, ignore what I am about to say. If you do not have a way that you regularly read scripture, then on that table in the back by the door, there are these pieces of paper. It says the F260 Bible reading plan, right? It's just a bunch of weeks. Week one, five days. Week two, five days. Week three, five days. It's like two chapters a day. You can start tomorrow. Tomorrow, week one, day one, you'll read Genesis one and two. Tuesday, you'll read Genesis three and four. Wednesday, you'll read Genesis six and seven. You won't read Genesis five. This won't take you through the whole Bible in a year, but it'll take you through most of it. It'll take you through the whole story of the Bible. You will understand all of the scriptures. You'll understand the connections. You'll, You'll know why, oh, when it says this here, it's actually talking, it's referencing back to this here, right? Two chapters, like, That's like a page and a half. It's 10 minutes in your life. It will change everything. Ask anyone you know who's doing this, and I mean this literally. Ask anyone you know who is reading scripture regularly. Have you ever read something in the morning that explained a question you had yesterday? Happens all the time. Have you ever read something in the morning that later in the day something happens and you thought, oh wait a minute, I I know what that means. I know what that is. I read that this morning. Happens all the time because the scriptures are full of God's power. They're not just words. It's not just a book. It has God's power in it. That means he can arrange your life around things. He can make sure you read what you need to read to be prepared for what happens. He can make sure you read what you need to read to explain what you didn't know the day before. All you need to do is read it. Folks, of the seven marks, okay, this is the easy one. This is the one that requires so little of you. Ten minutes a day, and then you just like, okay, week one, day one. You cross that out, and then you go on about your day, and watch what happens. Seriously, watch what happens as you read a little bit of the Bible every day. Day, even if you think I'm crazy and this is all nonsense, seriously, it's ten minutes a day. Try it. Take me up on it. See if I'm right. See if you don't start reading things that start explaining your life to you. See if what Hebrews says is it true. If Scripture starts telling you what's going on in your own heart, oh, that's what I'm doing. I cannot tell you the number of times I have just read things in Scripture and then realized, oh that's me, I do that, I did that, I'm doing that right now. The scriptures are powerful, you just need to read them. It's gonna get a lot worse over the weeks to come, okay? You're gonna have to pray, you're gonna have to serve, you might have to be a missionary, I mean, it's it's all gonna come down on you soon. But this is the easy week. All you got to do is 10, I mean, if you're a fast reader, five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, just read it. Take me up on the bet, right? Just do the first page. That's 12 weeks. What is that? like? The next three months. Just pick it up. Try it. See if the scriptures aren't powerful in your life. See if the scriptures don't start talking to you. If you don't start hearing things, if God's spirit doesn't start nudging you, I guarantee it will happen because I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Paul says the scriptures are full of God's power and I have seen that and tons of us in this room have seen that. The scriptures will change your life. All you need to do is read them. You don't even got to believe it. Just try it. Take God up on his offer. He claims in this passage that his scriptures are powerful and that he'll speak to you through them. Try them out. See if he's telling you the truth or not. There's about 50 copies on the back, the back table there. If you go to our website, dunwoodychurch.org, there's a connect item. And if you click on the connect item, underneath that, there's one of the things that says, read with us, read the Bible with us. That has this one, the F-250, and it has a whole bunch of other plans. You can go through the whole Bible in a year. You can go through the whole Bible in two years. There's tons of different ways. That's not the issue. The issue isn't how much you read or what the plan is you're using. Just please, I beseech you, read it. Read it and let God speak to you. I'll close with, this is one of my favorite stories. A guy at a conference, he's up, Pentecostal prophet. So our tradition is called evangelical. We don't really have prophets. But the Pentecostal tradition of Christianity still has people they call prophets. They speak for God. And I think this guy definitely is a prophet. I think he definitely has the gift of prophecy. And I heard him speak at a conference once about prophecy. And he gets up there and he says... You know, thank you for the warm welcome. Of, I've had so many of you as I, I came in and I've been in the conference hall, I've been talking to people, so many of you have asked me, you know, brother, brother, do you have a word from the Lord for me? Do you have a word of prophecy for us? Has, has God said something to you for us? And then he stops and he pauses, you know, and, and it goes really quiet in the auditorium. And he says, yes. I have thousands of words from God for you. Read your Bibles. Don't ask me. God will speak to you. Read your Bibles. Amen. Amen. You don't need me to tell you all this. Although I really appreciate that you come and you pay me for this. But you don't need me. You can read it. Please do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've left us your powerful word. Thank you that somehow your spirit and people, you brought them together. That that these aren't just words on the page. That we read scripture and scripture reads us. That it tells us our motives. It corrects us. It changes us. Thank you. That's really kind of you. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to leave us. With these printed words that anyone can read, that we can translate. Paul said these things in Greek. You spoke your words in Aramaic, but we translate them into all these different languages, and they still have your power. Your power still is in your word. Thank you. That's so kind of you. Lord, I pray for us that we would value the scriptures like you do that we would value them because they are powerful. We would value them because they they teach and restore us, and we value them because they rebuke us, and they treat us like children. That they tell us the truth when we don't want to hear it. They tell us who you are and who we are. Jesus, thank you. I pray for us that that you would give us determination, that you would give us courage. I know, I hear these things and I think, yes, I'm gonna do that. And then I go home and I have lunch and I mow the lawn and all these other normal things in life come up and I forget. Jesus, help us not to forget. Help us to remember, help us to get up tomorrow and read a couple chapters in the Bible. Get up on Tuesday and read a couple more to, to let your word seep into us so that your power is at work in us. Jesus, I pray for your Holy Spirit that you would not let us forget. You would would nag us. You would remind us. You would poke us. Oh, yeah, I need to do that. Oh, I haven't read my Bible. Oh, I, I need to read that. Jesus, bring that back up to mind over and over again. You know how fickle we are. You know how hard it is for us to be steadfast. You know how easy it is for us to forget. Lord, be gracious to us. Help us to read, for your powerful word, to teach us the language of faith, to teach us how to understand. I I pray for anybody in here that is listening to this and thinking, oh, yeah, I I get that. That makes sense. What he read makes sense. I pray, Jesus, that that you would be speaking to them, that, that you would guide them to other folks to talk to, that you would be at work in us for our good, because you love us. That's one of the things this book tells us over and over and over and over again. That you love us. You love us more than your very life. Just like what we sang, it was our sin that held you there. It wasn't ropes and it wasn't nails that held you to a cross. It was your love for us. And the scriptures say that you did that with joy. You scorned the shame of the cross because it meant that we could be with you. Thank you. Lord, let your word change us that we truly are disciples. We truly do look like you. We ask it in your name, Jesus. We ask everything in your name. You are our God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.